As God's people, we are strange. (laughs) Some of us are stranger than others. (laughs) I wasn't even thinking you. We're peculiar. uh, And we've been looking at that over the last several weeks at how God has called us. He has set us apart. He has sanctified us to be a different kind of community. Um, We are, as Peter says, God's own special possession. And that's what makes us peculiar. Peculiar uh, from the world around us. And we, because we are his people of peculiarity, are called to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That changes everything. We've been looking these past few weeks at our peculiarity and some of the distinctions that I believe for where we live today in a culture that is very anti-Christian, post-Christendom, post-modern, very secularized, individualistic, uh, idolatrous in respect to our ideologies, we're, we're seeing how we as God's people are distinct from all of that, not, not to slam people or to win people, but to win them over to what made us peculiar. That the same God who saved us and brought us out of darkness is available to bring anyone who calls upon him out of darkness into light. One of the best ways that we do this as a community is by being a community of, that is sent with good news to a world that is lost in itself. We're sent with the good news, the gospel of Jesus, to a world that is lost in itself. Let's look at 1 John 1 and verse 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was manifest. And we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus his son, cleanses us from all our sin. I love this, such a clear uh, presentation of the good news of Jesus and the mission Jesus has sent us on right here at the start of John's epistle. The first thing he has to say is what's the good news and how we're called to spread it. Uh, Australian apologist and pastor Glenn Scrivener Uh, who now lives in the UK, has put into animation um, 
the heart of John's message in these seven verses. It's a really great clip, just a minute and a half. And I want us to look at it today. Would you play that? Light and life and love, a father loving his son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And everything has come from light and life and love. But we look today at the world and we see it's not like that. We see a world full of darkness and death and disconnection. Where's that come from? Well, we've turned from the light. And when you turn from light, where else do you go but darkness? When you turn from love, where else do you go but disconnection? When you turn from life, where else do you go but death? But then what does love do when love sees the beloved in trouble? Love says, your pit will be my pit. Your debts will be my debts. Your darkness will be my darkness. Your death will be my death. So who is Jesus? He's the son of the father who came as our brother to be with us in the darkness, to take that darkness on himself, that death, that disconnection that we all deserve for turning from God. He took it on himself on the cross. He plunged it down to the hell that it deserves. And then he rose up again to light and life and love. And he says, you in the darkness, do you want my light? You in death, do you want my life? You in disconnection, do you want my love? And anyone who turns and says yes to Jesus, we now belong to him. We get his father as our father. We get his spirit as our spirit. We get his future as our future. It's for free and it's forever. So do you want Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Do we want Jesus? That's the same question being asked down through the ages from that moment that the disciples first walked with him. Those first disciples answered that question and they lived radically different lives because of it. And all they had experienced in Jesus, they boldly declared to others. John said it this way. He said, that which we have heard which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have touched with our hands, we proclaim also to you. Now, it's pretty clear that John and those with him, the other disciples, weren't Christians because it was convenient or safe or comfortable. They weren't Christians because it met their consumeristic needs. They weren't Christians because it made them socially acceptable. They lived radically different lives declaring this message because they'd been fully and radically captured by Jesus, their master. And now their chief aim was to know him and to live for him. And in all that they experienced, everything, they would proclaim to all who would listen that he is light and life and love. Now, What makes this so important for us today is that we also are his disciples. You see, when we read these stories and hear this message, it is not just about a distant Jewish rabbi from 2,000 years ago and those who would follow him. This is about those who believe the message because they shared the message. And that includes everyone sitting here today or listening who is in Christ Jesus. We're all called as his disciples with the very same task they were called with to proclaim what we've seen, 
and what we've heard and what we've touched. The Savior who changed their lives has changed ours. The same spirit that was poured out on them has been poured out and into us. The same holy mission that they received is the mission that we too have received. If you go to the Bible, the book of Acts, and start reading at the very beginning, you get a sense of, of just how, how much this ragtag group of nobodies changed the world. How God used a bunch of no name, no class, uh, no prestige, no resource group, and he turned the world upside down with this group of people. I find some encouragement by that. <laughs> if you look in the book of Acts, you see on their first day, they had 3,000 3, people added to their number. And then the second public activity they had, they had 5,000 people added to them. There are scholars that say that within the first six months after Pentecost, it's believed that Jerusalem saw 100,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. They did it well. And of course, it spread beyond Jerusalem. It spread across the world, everywhere they went, all because people like John who had seen and heard and touched, took seriously the command to make Jesus known. Do we? Do we take seriously the command to make Jesus known? That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have touched that has touched us, do we make him known? The thing I find fascinating is that John and the others with him did all of this facing fierce opposition with no resources to speak of and zero political pull. Contrast that to today's Western church, which is hemorrhaging numbers and losing grounds, even though we have copious resources and quite a lot of political power and virtually no persecution. Now, it probably tells us something about the necessary conditions for spiritual harvest. Lots of resource and political influence have little to do with missional success. And persecution is often the seedbed that makes it happen. And I know that most American Christians don't want to hear that, but I still think it's true. Of course, not all the world's Christians have the amount of resource that we have. That they don't have it as easy as we do. Many countries are closed to the gospel. And believers that are living there face harsh persecution. And if they are serious about accepting God's call, they will take seriously the expansion of his kingdom, but have to do it in covert ways. We have people in our church here that are doing just that and helping them do so. But in the Western world, which is where we are, the Western world, we have an abundance of Christian resources floating out there. I mean, just turn on the television. How many Christian TV stations do you have on your cable TV? I can't count them all. 24-7 programming and a slew of Christian conferences. You could go to a Christian conference like every weekend of the year. And we have millions of advertising dollars spent to tell people that Jesus is just like us. 
And add to that the live streaming that churches started during COVID, including us, and all of the TikTok preachers and YouTube sermons. Throw onto that the celebrities and athletes who all get a microphone and thank their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you throw into that mix the worship albums that drop seemingly every week and the edgy podcast and the books and the Bible studies and the Bible apps and the devotions and the what would Jesus do bracelets. Oh wait, that was 30 years ago. (laughs) But still, we've got it all. As a Western culture, there is so much gospel or Christian messaging being pushed out on every platform, in every medium, just look around. What's unfortunate is that a lot of it's just being ignored. But despite all of the ways Christian messaging is being dispensed, we seem as a culture to have more anxiety and more depression and more addiction and more violence and more isolation and more disconnection than ever before, and not just in the world, much of it in the church as well. Now, I'm not saying that large-scale efforts to spread the gospel don't work. I'm not here to critique those things. Just say we have a lot of them. I do think that the return on investment might need to be considered. (laughs) A lot of money goes into that. But what I do want to say to us today is that each of us have a personal responsibility to live out the Great Commission. And we can't allow bigger efforts that we're not connected to to do it for us. When Jesus looks at us and asks respect to the Great Commandment, to love your neighbor, to love God and love your neighbors yourself, and then the Great Commission, did you actually go and make disciples of all nations? I don't think he's gonna let you get off the hook by saying, I, I like CBN, uh, I like TBN, uh, I, you know, I let those tracks, I left them at the bathroom that time at the t- truck stop. I don't know that that's going to be enough. Each disciple of Jesus has to grapple with the great commission because it's for every single believer And we have to grapple with the personal call to tell what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have touched to those who need to hear our message. It might mean we face persecution and lose political power, taking us back to a better way of doing it. It most definitely means our sharing the gospel looks a lot less like a sales strategy of winning converts And a lot more like loving the way Jesus did and living the way his disciples did. I believe it will look more like that. When I think about all that God is doing, that we heard from Jamie and Anna last week with Boy with the Ball, the possibility of expanding teams into Ethiopia and Lebanon, not to mention what God is doing in Kenya and Nigeria and Nicaragua and Costa Rica and in San Antonio and in Boston and here. I'm thrilled. I am so excited that we get to be a part of something that God is doing way beyond us. I'm also encouraged by all that God is doing in the missionaries that we support as our church. 
You may not know this, but we as a church give 20% of our income away to those that are doing the work around the world. We believe in the mission of God. We believe in living it. We believe in supporting it. We believe in praying for it. We believe in doing it. When I think about all the missionaries that we have personal connections with that are reaching and doing the work of the kingdom in Turkey, in Papua New Guinea, in Africa, in Central America, in Singapore, now in China, the Philippines, in the Ukraine, across Europe, and in the Middle East, those are just a few that we have connections with and support. That excites me. I am thrilled with the possibility that a church of a couple hundred people could have that much participation in the great commission of Jesus Christ. But I'm also excited about all the possibilities right here in Gwinnett County, Georgia, USA, which is like living in a mission field. Because the world has quite literally come to us. With close to a million residents in Gwinnett County and probably going to add another three to 500,000 more in the next couple of decades. Gwinnett's diverse population has more than 100 different languages and dialects spoken in households. And there are more than 180 countries represented in the school population across our county, 180. And one out of every four residents born, excuse me, one out of every four residents being born in this county, they actually came from outside the United States. We have the world at our doorstep. You don't have to go halfway around the world to reach the world. We have to understand that as followers of Jesus, we have the same mission that they did 2,000 years ago, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And with much of the world now living right here in our county, I'd say, we have a job to do. I'd say every person has opportunity to give themselves more fully to the same mission that John spoke about when he said, that which I have seen and that which I've heard and that which I touched, I passed on to you. So in our mission field, how will we as a community sent with good news influence a world that is lost in itself. How do we do that? Because I've already been possibly critical of certain methods that have worked in times past. I do think that there is a way forward for us that everyone can participate in. And today I wanna to just give us four suggestions to prayerfully consider. First, find where God is at work and join him in it. Find where God is at work and join him. We, we learned this years ago when we went through the Henry Blackaby Experiencing God Bible study, right? Who, who's gone through that Bible study? Have you done that? A few of us have. Find where God is doing something and go join that. Doesn't mean you have to start something brand new and then ask God to come bless you. 
Find what he's blessing and go be a blessing. Open your eyes to what God is already doing around you, already doing in your friends, already doing in your neighbors, already doing in your coworkers or at an ESL class like James mentioned earlier or in the kids that will all come to this church grounds just in a few weeks, plus young people. It would be just like they're everywhere. Or what about that store clerk that you regularly see that seems to have hardship? Have you asked, could you pray for them? Is God working on them? Is there a tenderness? Is there a connection that God is opening up between them and you? Just find what God is doing and join him in it. If you would do that, you would see that the Holy Spirit would lead you into further conversation and you might see some real fascinating things happen because of the power of God. God is doing stuff everywhere. Just look. (laughs) He'd love to have you join him. Number two, practice hospitality. Jesus had an uncanny ability to turn enemies into guests and to turn guests into family. (laughs) And he did it through radically ordinary hospitality, just eating meals around a table. He did it a lot. You know, we're a very friendly church. You, you know that if you come and do greeting time and you're not, you're not too sure you want to be greeted by that many people. But what really connects with people beyond the surface of niceties and small talk is invite them to your home. Sit around a table with them. I, I've been blessed by several of the new families in our church. Keith and Patricia, we were talking about this, how that's how God has used their lives over the history of their marriage. Just inviting people into their home. I watched this with Truman and Elizabeth, with, uh, with Angela and Leo, with Chris and Rachel, with a lot of new people that God has brought to our place. Boy With the Ball does this great. Their teens are always inviting. Our small groups do this. Around a table is where you go deeper with somebody, and it's in that place of practicing hospitality that you might go somewhere deeper with them than you ever would have otherwise. Have you had your neighbors over for dinner? Have, have you taken that person that you, you barely know, but you sense God is doing something and invited them out to coffee? Have you gone to a place where you can know them deeper and see what the Spirit is doing? Here's what's interesting. The word hospitality comes from two Greek words. Philo, which means love, and xenos, which means stranger or foreigner. Hospitality is the love of the stranger. And it's in that place that God would help us be more true to his commission. Third, live in a way that begs the question. Live your life in such a way that people notice that there's something different, peculiar. The way you love your spouse, the way you honor your spouse, the way you don't tear your spouse down in front of them. The way you raise your children, the way you discipline your children, the way you support and encourage your children, the way you show kindness towards others when everybody else seems to sneer or look away, the way you're compassionate and reach the one that needs help, the what you watch and what you won't watch and how you act and how you react. Live in such a way that they take notice. 
if your life looks just like those not following Jesus, there will be no need for them to ask. They're used to that. But if your life looks different from theirs, you might have a chance to explain why. Number four, and finally, probably the best, we must be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. It's not a method. It's not a track. It's not a formula. It's the Holy Spirit. Follow him into conversations. This is why it's so critical that we are filled with the Spirit because he has come not only to comfort us, but to lead us and guide us into every conversation. And that includes in walking out the Great Commission. He's our guide. He tells us what to say and how to say it. Even when we're proclaiming what we have seen and heard and touched, the Holy Spirit is the one that will instigate something and give insights and maybe give a prophetic word or a, an insight like a, a, a nuanced thought that you're like, I'm not sure where this comes from. I feel like the Lord just wants me to say this and it unlocks their lives like a word of knowledge that completely radically changes them. Or maybe you feel impressed to pray and healing comes or maybe there's prophetic word or just simply loving them the way the Spirit wants them to be loved. The life in the Spirit is what enables us to be effective as his missionaries in this world. Ask any missionary that goes on the mission field. They'll tell you without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. You can't do it. You might have all the best doctrine. You might have all the great training. But if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing into you and through you, you won't be successful. And neither will we. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And by that, we can incarnate the life of Jesus and demonstrate his love and proclaim his word. We'll see people free and delivered and healed, and saved, and discipled, and sent on the same mission that God has called us to. As his peculiar people, we are called to be a community sent with good news to a world that's lost in itself. My challenge to us today is to find out where God is working and joining. Ask him. Ask him this week, Lord, where are you working in my workplace? Where are you working with my neighbors? Would you show me? Would you give me an indicator? Would you show me, Lord, what you're doing and how I can join you? Would you open my eyes and my heart and my feet to actually obey you in it? Ask him. He'll tell you. Find what he's doing, where he's working, how he's blessing, and join him. And secondly, practice hospitality. Open your doors. Open your lives. Open your hearts. Live in a way that begs the question. Be distinct, be peculiar, be strange. It's okay. It might get their attention. And finally, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not, that can be remedied. The Lord is here to fill you with the Spirit. Hunger, earnestly desire it. The Lord will not let you down. He is true to his word. His promise is true. He will fill you if you earnestly seek him. Let us be that kind of community in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife is going to come, share a few thoughts.
And then we're going to gather at the Lord's table today. We're going to gather uh, in five stations. And after Donna shares, we'll ask those that are serving communion to come and be here at the front. And Donna and I will share with them as a representation. And then they'll turn and share with you. I'm going to share, sweetie. I feel like the words today, even before Chris spoke, you basically were in one of those buckets. <laughs> Nobody was left out. Um, if you have received something from the Lord, then take up your mat and get after it. Mm -hmm. And if you're desperate for something from the Lord, he's there. He's here. Yes. He's ready to fight for you. He's ready to deliver you. He's ready to fill you. Um, there's no reason to leave today the same way you came. Hmm. And I'm grateful yes, I am too. for the conviction of God that opens the door to all that he wants to give. The question I feel like he's been asking me to ask him is what do you want for me? I spend a lot of time asking him what he wants from me. What do you require? Yeah. I want to be obedient. Yeah. But it's helpful to ask him what does he want for me? Hmm. I want my expectation of him to line up with who he is. That way when I'm out living I'm pointing to the real Jesus. I'm not pointing to something else. So my prayer for us today is, one, that you will ask God when you come to communion, what does he want for you? What does he want to give you or show you or release in you? And then you can ask him, now what do you want me to do with that? That's good. Would you pray for us? Yeah. Let's just pray in light of that. I think that's really excellent. Go ahead. Father, your bigness is humbling. Mm, yes, it is. And life-giving and hopeful and convicting. Thank you for giving us this moment to let you examine our hearts. Not that we're going to dig through it all and label it whatever it is, but that we're going to throw open the doors to our heart, to our mind, to our motives, to the things that we don't share with others. Yes. And let you take inventory, Father. Because you have the power to separate out what is worthy and valuable and useful to the master and what is not. I ask for each heart represented here, Lord, that you would do that, that your Holy Spirit would come in and sift through and call out what is good and worthy 
and useful. Hmm. And that your Holy Spirit would sweep away the stuff that is not. Yes, Lord. God, you're here to convict of sin and to free us from shame and reproach and places of hard flesh that don't represent you. It's not too big for you. We don't ask you to do the part that we should be doing, but we ask you to do what only you can do so that we are set free to do what you require. Yes, Lord. God, bring reality, your reality, mm. to bear the eternal truths in our hearts. Make us over in your image that we might provide hospitality to enemies. Mm -hmm. That we might make guests friends and fellow believers. Yes. That we might operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Cause your kingdom to come to bear in our hearts. Yes, that we might live fully for you and receive all that you have for us to be engaged in, to be a part of. That our vision of you would get bigger and bigger. That we would point to you faithfully, consistently, and rightly. Yes, Lord. Lord, help us to ask the question, what do you have for us? And not simply, what do you want from us? It gives us perspective and hope that the light and life and love that is Jesus is not only changing us, but has for us something way beyond us into the extension and expansion of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.